Welcome to this week's edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara, where telling the truth in a time of universal deceit is a revolutionary act. Well, here we are. We're in the second week of July, and I hope everybody's enjoying their summer. It has certainly been a um, eventful one thus far, politically. Things. This is usually a busy political time of year anyway, because on Capitol Hill, members of Congress are racing around trying to get the appropriation bills done and And after the 4th of July holiday, um, the race to get things done before the big August recess for a month happens in July. So there's always a flurry of activity. However, we never have any time off when Donald Trump is around because he never takes the time off from being a horrible person. (laughs) And unless you were living under a rock this weekend, you saw that Trump engaged in some pretty racially inflammatory tweets concerning the squad also known as the four super left-wing progressive congresswomen of AOC, uh, Presley, Omar, and Talib. So now they've become the boogeyman. And uh, I'm going to talk about this in, in a little bit in more detail because I was just furious. I woke up after a lovely Saturday, out and about with my husband. We went tubing down the Shenandoah River in West Virginia. Had a great day. Went to some vineyards out in Virginia. Wonderful. Sunday, I wake up, roll over, and I see these god-awful tweets from Trump. And I was like, oh, shit, here we go. (laughs) Here we go. Now, I don't agree with anything with these four congresswomen. I think that their worldview is objectionable. As a conservative, I don't agree with anything they have to say. However... To imply that because they have a different political philosophy that they should, quote, go back to their countries, their crime infested countries is insane, especially since three out of four of them were born here. They're American citizens. The fourth one is an American citizen, but was born in Somalia and was naturalized here. That's Omar. Now, listen, again, like I said, I don't agree with a lot of the things that these women have said, uh, but they were duly elected. Okay, they're duly elected congresswomen. And on top of all the other racist shit this president has said and done, this is just, uh, you know, so unbelievable. But I'm going to get into that in a second. There's some other things to talk about, because on this on the this week's edition, um, former Congressman Joe Walsh, who um, also is now a syndicated talk radio host for The Joe Walsh Show, he voted for Donald Trump. But now he is a very vocal never Trumper. And if you follow him on Twitter, you'll see that. And I talked to him about what's going on in the Republican Party, um, what what made him finally see the light and decide to no longer support Donald Trump. And it's an interesting conversation, uh, especially between two people who myself and him as Republicans who've just kind of watched with horror what's happened to the party. And uh, he has some pretty strong words for Paul Ryan, former Speaker of the House as well. So stay tuned for Joe Walsh. He's coming up in a little bit. Uh, What else over the weekend? Um, Well, Sunday, I... My husband and I, like I always talk about this, we go out to Wolf Trap. If you you live in the D.C. area, you're familiar with Wolf Trap. It's an outdoor national park music venue. It's like an amphitheater. And they have really great uh, programming in the summer, and you can picnic on the lawn. So this is a favorite pastime of my husband and myself, and we look forward to the shows there. So over the weekend, we went to see Nas 
perform with the National Symphony Orchestra. Now, for all my folks who are old school hip hop people like myself, I grew up in New Jersey, so I'm East Coast all the way. I cannot get with hip hop today. I think it's terrible. That mumble rap crap, I don't even know what that is. So I'm in protest of of hip hop today. However, I grew up with the greats, the lyricists of like Nas, Jay-Z, Biggie, Wu-Tang, Mob Deep, those that, that era, 90s hip hop was the best. And to see that Nas was performing with the National Symphony Orchestra to commemorate the 25th anniversary of his classic first album, Illmatic, which came out in 94, was a treat. And I love classical music as well. So to see the marriage of the two genres was awesome. So that was a pretty cool experience. And we were preparing for Wolf Trap on Sunday. It was an evening show and it was hot as hell. But um, if you follow me on Instagram, I posted a bunch of pictures. And um, if you don't follow me on Instagram, you should, because I, I post not as much political stuff there, a little bit more personal things. I'll post some of my CNN things, but usually my Instagram is kind of like the other side of life because I actually have one. I, I have balance in my life, thank God, or else I would just go crazy. With everything that's going on today, Donald Trump just ruins everything and um, it's it's I, I fear for the future of our country under this guy's continued lack of leadership. But can, with Donald Trump in, in the Oval Office, I really fear for the future of our republic. And I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm being honest about that. So I try to have some balance in life as I continue to fight the good fight to get this bastard out of office. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, on to what else was going on before I get into my rant about how upset I was over his tweets Sunday morning. The Jeffrey Epstein case fallout from that is still ongoing. Uh, he hasn't outed anyone yet. We haven't heard any big names. This is the, uh, the sexual predator who's having sex with young girls, raping them. And, um, you know, this, this sicko who was arrested last week, finally, after getting away with it basically for 12 years. Um, and the feds in New York said, that's it. After the, her- the, the, the her- um, courageous, heroic, is the word I was looking for, work by Julie K. Brown and her investigative team at the Miami Herald, it, it allowed the SDNY, the Southern District of New York, to reopen the case and this time charge him federally. And it brought back up Alex Acosta, who was the federal prosecutor in Southern Florida at the time during 2007, when Jeffrey Epstein was arrested the last time for this child rape and trafficking allegations. He got cut a sweetheart deal. I talked about this last week. Again, big thank you to Mimi Roca, legal analyst and former SDNY prosecutor. She talked about this case. We talked about it at great length. Well, it's ongoing because Alex Acosta is now the, well, was the labor secretary under Donald Trump. He eventually basically was forced out. He resigned last Friday after there was quite the outcry once his role was was brought up again in, in the sweetheart deal that was cut and basically allowing Jeffrey Epstein to get away with a slap on the wrist after all of the evidence and investigative stuff that they had on him back in 2000. Seven, So he couldn't weather that storm. He didn't deserve to have that that position as uh, labor secretary. How he ever got through 
uh, his confirmation hearing in the damn first place is beyond me because all this information, well, most of it was out there already. But because of the investigative work of of uh, Julie K. Brown and, and her team there at the Miami Herald, it brought up a lot of information that people hadn't hadn't heard before. Um, it wasn't really out there in the public sphere, I guess, when the confirmation hearings were happening. So, uh, hasta la vista to you, Alex Acosta. No love lost there. But another person who some people were drawing parallels, R. Kelly. R. Kelly, after everyone was horrified after his surviving, the surviving R. Kelly miniseries came out earlier this year, and then he was eventually arrested on state charges of, of child pornography and endangerment and child sex, whatever. He, all kinds of shit with him because he was running this sex cult. It was crazy, right? I talked about this on a couple episodes back. You can always go and check it out on uh, iTunes. Um, earlier this year, we talked about the R. Kelly saga, which is just horrifying and despicable. And Jeffrey Epstein, that case is kind of similar um, maybe worse because of, of how many, because we're talking hundreds possibly with Epstein and it was all over and he had people recruiting for him. But then again, so did R. Kelly. So anyway, R. Kelly got arrested over the weekend as well. The feds now are involved. So not just state charges for him, the feds are involved. So R. Kelly, I think his ass is done and he nail him too, because he's a pedophile. He deserves to be in prison. He was able to get away with some of this a couple of years ago based off of his fame and everything else and paying off witnesses and their families, a mess. But you're not going to mess around with the feds this time. Some of his assistants handed over, I think it was 20 tapes of um, child pornography of him having sex with minors. Yeah. So the federal charges have mandatory minimums. I think that R. Kelly's done finally, and he should be. Enough is enough with these pervs, these sickos, and these poor young girls. So that's the update on that. We'll see how that plays out. I think he's still in jail. I, he had a trouble posting bail before because he's pretty broke from what I hear. So let's see what happens this time around. And Epstein, his ass needs to rot in jail while this trial goes on. He's wealthy. He, God knows where he could go to. He could abscond. Um, he's a risk. This guy is a serious sexual predator. So as of the recording of this podcast, we don't know what the judge has decided yet, but I know that the feds are trying to make a pretty serious case to keep him in prison. He should not have the luxury of walking free. He's already had it for 12 years. So keep an eye on that case. Mueller, speaking of cases, Bob Mueller, everyone was waiting with bated breath for his testimony uh, up on Capitol Hill on July 17th. We all had our calendars marked. A couple days ago, we found out that there's going to be a postponement. Then everyone started to freak out. Oh my God, it's never happening. Is he going to have the negotiations falling apart? What's going on? No, the good news is the negotiation, the renegotiations for the new date of July 24th were successful. They were just discussing length of time for his appearance in front of two committees. He's appearing in front of the Intelligence Committee and the Judiciary Committee. So it, they say reports are that it was his suggestion to postpone so that there could be ample time for questioning. So it's all going to work itself out. Let's, let's hold our breaths and make sure that it happens on the 24th. But as of right now, it's happening now on the 24th. I, 
I don't know if there's going to be any bombshells in that testimony. Bob Mueller is a pretty straight and narrow, disciplined guy. I don't think he's going to be purposely uh, evasive. I just think that he's going to try his best not to get caught up in any political traps. But if he, look, if he just tells the truth and is honest and straightforward about what's in his report, I think that can be a powerful testimony. Most people aren't going to read the report, uh, but hearing it come from him directly, and if the Democrats ask him the questions the way they should to elicit the answers they need, I think it can be pretty powerful. But don't think there's going to be any Perry Mason moments during this. Um, Ari Melber a couple weeks ago did a um, montage on his show on the beat on MSNBC where he used examples of Bob Mueller testifying in the past and how difficult it can be to elicit an answer from him. (laughs) If he doesn't want to answer you, he's not going to answer you. And he does it in a very lawyerly way, you know, not like Bob Barr, frustratingly. It's just kind of um, like this is the answer I'm giving you and doesn't matter how many times you ask it. You're not going to get a different answer. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Well, uh, the next podcast will will be a preview of the the Mueller hearing um, since I think that's a Wednesday. So I don't know. Maybe I'll postpone the podcast till after the Mueller hearing. We'll see. I don't know. I'll think about it. I might do that. Um, what else? What else? Oh, Kellyanne Conway. She was uh, she's about to get served with contempt of Congress because she was subpoenaed to go before the House Oversight Committee for violations of the Hatch Act. What's the Hatch Act? It's basically uh, a law that says you're not allowed to engage in political um any kind of anything political while you're in while you're employed in the executive branch uh, or the legislative branch. So federal government, if you are employed by the federal government, you cannot engage in political activity on the job. Well, we all know that she's done that consider- consistently. She goes after Trump's opponents. She's she says all kinds of things about other you know campaign opponents and things. You're not allowed to do that. They're violations. And the office of special counsel different than the Mueller special counsel. There's another office within the executive branch that specializes in whistleblowers and investigating government employee misconduct. That office recommended that Kellyanne be fired, actually, for her blatant violations of the Hatch Act. Of course, the White House is coming out saying that that's fake news and that's all made up. The special counsel, the office of special counsel is appointed by the president. It's a political appointment. So what? These people are unbelievable. Any criticism, any wrongdoing, it's all fake news, all fake news. It ain't all fake news. So she's kind of given a big F you to Congress as well. Add her to the list of other people from this administration who have flouted congressional subpoenas. I hope that they find a way to give these things some teeth because last time I checked rule of law, there's supposed to be big rule of law people. We can't just go flouting subpoenas. Hello. That's why we have subpoenas. So they better figure out a way to enforce them because this is a terrible precedent to set moving forward after this God awful administration is gone. What's to stop the Democrats from doing the same thing when it's the other way around. So not a good look, but uh, not surprising by these people because they're the worst. Yeah. The worst. Liars, cheaters, dishonorable, horrible people, unfortunately. And we need to get them voted out of office, which is my life's goal for the next year and a half. Um, What else? Oh, well, speaking of being horrible people, 
these immigration raids and what's happening in these detention centers. <clears throat> I've often said on this program that I am a border hawk and I am. I'm tough on border security. I think there's a lot of abuse taking place of our immigration laws. There's a lot of loopholes that need to be closed. There's a lot of shit that needs to be fixed. It's messed up and it has been for decades. This isn't new. This is not partisan. It has been the fault of both Democrats and Republicans for allowing the system to get as out of control as it is. And now we have a crisis on the border. Before, when people were saying it was a manufactured crisis during the shutdown earlier in the year, to some degree it was in that it wasn't as bad as it is right now. But now we're looking at overcrowding, a humanitarian crisis, awful conditions on the border, putting our brave men and women of the Border Patrol in a terrible situation that they are not prepared for, their facilities are not designed for, and nothing's getting done to change this. You know, it's, it's very, it's very, it's upsetting to me for a lot of reasons. First of all, we are the greatest country in the world. We're the richest country in the world. There is no excuse for these conditions, these deplorable conditions to continue this way. If we have an influx of overcrowding and people trying to come here, freaking figure it out. We are able to supply people with housing and, and decent conditions after a natural disaster. Why can't we figure out a way to do this? I'm not saying to make it comfortable where you know people think, oh, this is wonderful. No, but we need to be humane, humane. And there are people who, yes, they're coming here seeking asylum. And I have my issues with some of that. I think that we need to fix some of the asylum laws and make it a bit more difficult because economic opportunity is not a reason for asylum. I know it's harsh for some people to hear, but it's true. We need to have a system that allows people to come here, the ones that are looking for work. Yes, your, their country, no country is as great as ours. I get it that there's violence in their home countries. There's not as much opportunity, but that's not a reason for asylum or to be a refugee. You need, we need to have a, a system where people can go through an orderly way to apply to come here. And either you can get in or you can't. This rushing the border, this trying to you know, flood the border with, with kids and families and all this, and then leaving these people to live in these squalid conditions, squalor, is horrible. I can't, I, it's not right. It's not right. And it's not good for anyone. And for the vice president, so if anyone saw this, the vice president went to visit one of these facilities because some members of Congress and some um, uh, lawyers were at these facilities and they were talking about how horrible they were. Kids are sick and they're not taking showers. They don't have a change of clothes. They can't have, they don't have access to toothbrushes and things like that, right? The sanitary conditions were awful. Unsanitary conditions, really. And then Mike Pence decides to go show up at one of these facilities in Texas, I think it was. And you see the pictures of all these men, these um, Central American men piled into these cages, basically, in these holding facilities at Border Patrol. So crowded that they can't lay on the ground. They really, it, they said that stench was, was palpable. And the vice president like, had the nerve to be like, well, it's not that bad. And the administration trotted out a bunch of officials over the weekend on the Sunday shows to say, well, it's not that bad. Yeah, some said it's bad. Some said it's not that bad. Some said, well, we need money. And then when Congress gave money, we were able to alleviate some of it. No, the conditions are messed up. And this is not acceptable in the United States. 
at all. And not for nothing, but as a country, we have allowed this to we have facilitated this for decades. These immigration raids, you know, this deportation force that the president keeps talking about. I'm not in favor of this. Now, of the criminals, of the, you know, the gang members and all that, yeah, get them the hell out of here. That's who I should be focused on. But the people who've been here for 10 and 20 years, who have American-born children, who are working, who are, for the most part, assimilated in as citizens, whose kids are going to college, the DACA people, what, what are we doing deporting them? We need to just bite the bullet and absorb this at this point. We created this problem with our messed up immigration system, both sides of the aisle, cheap labor and social programs and people, you know, the rich folks out there in Hollywood like their maids to make their beds and and clean their toilets, as some have said, and pick their fruit and everything else, right? Okay, well, you guys wanted it. Now you've got it. You broke it. You own it. We need to just absorb this and then do what we need to do to 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 get this border under control to stop more people coming from from coming over here. The end. Have a guest worker program, something so that we can control this, because this is just wrong. It's not fair to anybody and it's inhumane. And the fact that the president of the United States continues to otherize these these people coming from our southern border really upsets me. It upsets me. He is preying on the racial resentment of people in this country, and it's wrong. And I was very passionate about this on CNN this week, and I stand by it. You know, these immigration raids, I just, there's something very Gestapo-like about this. And even though the president telegraphed that he was going to do this, they were going to have these raids, they ended up fizzling out. So he's just doing this to have people living in fear, which is just cruel, there weren't the thousands. He said there was going to be thousands and thousands rounded up and deported. Well, that turned out not to be the case. And people were well informed ahead of time. They were warned. So immigration advocates gave folks the heads up in their immigrant communities. ICE isn't allowed to enter your home without a warrant. Most of the time when they do these deportation rates, they don't have warrants. So if you don't open the door, they cannot come into your house without a warrant. So the word was out. So a couple of the places they went and knocked on doors, people were like, they knew ahead of time because the word was out. They knew not to open the door. So they didn't. So ICE had to go away. Well, what a waste of time and resources this is. Not right. It's stupid. This is not the way to do it. I just don't like the whole idea of this. So for the people, the criminals, you know, violent criminals, yes, get them the hell out of here. And that's who I should focus on. But the people who are here with families, kids in school, we, we, like I said, the fact that Congress, both Democrats and Republicans had the chance to change our immigration laws to fix this. They didn't. So now we're stuck with it. So let's, you know, give, I hate to even say these words, but some type of amnesty to the people who are already here. We don't have a choice at this point because nothing else is working, apparently. And then that's it. No more, never again. And with the amnesty thing and deport the bad ones and let's lock this border down so we don't have what the crap that's going on now. That's what needs to happen. But Trump is uninterested. And I've said this many times. He doesn't want to fix the problem because as long as the problem exists, he's got a boogeyman to point to to rile his base because he won on the issue of immigration strictly. He did. 
Immigration was the issue. That's his bread and butter. He's going to build a wall. He's going to keep them out of here. We're going to lock the border down and they're going to stop taking our jobs and X, Y, and Z. Well, he wants to still have that. And that leads me to his, his tweets. You know, the tweets about telling those congresswomen that they can basically get out of America if they don't like it really pissed me off. And it has, and I never thought that I'd be defending people who I do feel have some very socialist viewpoints and have a worldview that I vehemently disagree with, but they are duly elected members of Congress. And how dare Donald Trump engage in that? If you don't like it, you can go back to your country. Do you know how racist that is? It's racist. Full stop. Anyone who says those things, it's coming from a place of superiority. You aren't good enough. You don't deserve to be here. Go the hell back to your shithole country, right? And any of these people and these Republicans, these these cowardly Republicans that took forever to come out, and only a few, only a handful spoke out about these tweets about 24 hours later. It took them a day to figure out what they were allowed to say, I guess. And a couple came out here and there. Susan Collins, well, you know, she's up for re-election. She's a wishy-washy one anyway, but at least she said something. Will Hurd from Texas, the only black member of Congress, a black uh, House member. You've got Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina. They're the only two black Republicans in the whole Congress. At least they said something. Will Hurd minced no words. He said it was racist and unacceptable and good for him. He also represents one of the most diverse districts in the country along the border in Texas. Well, at least he had enough sense and enough uh, enough courage to say something. But where is the leadership? Where is everybody else? He had a couple. He had uh, Senator Toomey, I think, said something. Senator um, Porter of Ohio said something. John Kasich, he's not elected anymore, but at least he came out swinging and said that this was awful. Um, but where is everybody else? I was on CNN, fired up. Because you know what? These people, they have no balls. Now, I couldn't say that on CNN because that's a little crass, but it's the truth. I'm from Jersey and that's what we would say. They have no balls. So instead I said, I'm happy to lend some of my testicular fortitude to these members of Congress so that they maybe they need some help. They need a boost to speak up finally and, and, and condemn this president for his racist BS. Come on. Mitt Romney, where are you, man? He was approached in the airport and asked about it, and he slunk away. So don't look to him for any profiles of courage. Maybe here. Hey, Mitt, here's some of my testicular fortitude. Happy to share it with you. Come on, Mitt. You're better than this. I don't want to hear any more. I don't want to see any more op-eds in the Wall Street Journal, wherever the hell, about uh, about character and integrity, because this is when it matters. Stand up. You know what's right. Marco Rubio. Enough with the freaking Bible scriptures every day on on Twitter. That's wonderful. But uh, how about you live up to it? What's going on here with these people on the border? How we're treating these folks? That's Christian to you? Evangelicals? Shame on all of you. Shame on you. This is how Jesus would treat these folks? I mean, come on. My family came through Ellis Island. My great-grandparents on my mom's side, they came from Germany and Italy. They came through where the Statue of Liberty is, where it says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free. And yes, there was a door and there should be an orderly way to come in. But once they're here, what are we doing? Come on. 
Shame on Donald Trump and, and all of the people who are enablers with him. I expect him to be a horrible bastard because that's who he's been his whole life. It's the people around him that continue to make excuses and enable him. They're the worst ones. His supporters. Yeah, you know what? There are, there are a lot of deplorables out there. Yep, there are, unfortunately. And all of you people that continue to try to justify this and are, are these rabid cult members that are cheering him on for this. Yeah, get the hell out of our country. Well, who the hell are you people to determine who, what, what constitutes America? Hmm? Donald Trump doesn't love this country. Donald Trump despises what the American spirit, what, the Ameri- what America stands for, what our constitution represents, what our declaration of independence says. He doesn't, he doesn't love those things. He doesn't love freedom. He hates it. He hates it. He hates the diversity of this country. He hates the fact that people are free to disagree with one another. He hates the fact that people who have different ethnicities and backgrounds with different opinions can be elected to Congress and challenge him. He doesn't love our military. He uses them as political pawns to puff him up, to make him feel like he's a, a dictator. Look at, look at my military and them protecting me. It's all about me, me, me. It's his malignant narcissism. He was too much of a coward to serve himself in the military, but yet he tries to stand up and he's the beacon of, of what determines patriotism in this country. No, I'm sorry. Donald Trump represents the worst of America. And he despises everything that this great country was founded on, what our principles represent, what our constitution represents. He despises the rule of law. He despises the truth. He despises integrity and honor. He's the coward. He's the enemy of the people. He's the existential threat. Yeah, I said it. So we have to continue to stand up and call this out. And I will continue to call out Republicans. I mean, it is a struggle for me to still even associate myself. I mean, I'm a conservative first, because I said that's my political worldview. But we are, we have to operate within our two party system and someone has to pick the pieces up. It's very hard for me. I don't identify with what the current Republican party represents at all. But there are a whole lot more people out there who are decent people that want to see the Republican Party go back to what it used to be. Now, you know, some people argue my my progressive friends or Democrat friends who listen to me, who don't agree with me on policy. But that's those were policy differences. It wasn't this like tiki torches and people ready to take up arms because they were otherizing people in this country who don't look like them or who disagree with them. What are we doing my mom and I were talking like, is this worse than the 60s? I don't know. We haven't seen the political violence of the 60s, but I'm telling you, it's pretty bad. It really is. So we have to stay steadfast, though, folks. Don't, don't, don't be um, discouraged. I mean, it's disheartening, but there are a lot of us out there who aren't a bunch of rabid, crazy cult members. And those people need to get out and vote. Vote, vote, vote in 2020. The New York Times just did a really good story. If you get a chance, Google it about the turnout models for 2020 because there's so much interest in the upcoming election. And it's always, it's about who can get more people to the to the polls, right? And it's interesting because it shows, well, is it going to be more Republicans or is it going to be more Democrats? It's hard. It's complicated depending on what part of the country you're in, whether it's the Rust Belt or the Sun Belt, what motivates people to go there, who stayed home before, who came out in 2018. Very, very interesting. But just remember, 
it's all about the turnout game. That's why Trump is doing what he's doing. He knows he has to rile his base up. He's got to make sure all the people who voted for him before come out and then some. And the Democrats have to get more people out because over 5 million people did not vote that voted during 2012. They didn't vote in 2016. The Obama coalition did not show up in the same numbers. So Democrats, don't mess this up. Okay? I don't know what four more years of Donald Trump would look like. I really don't. I really don't. But, you know, who does or who we can talk about that with? Joe Walsh. I'm going to bring him in. He's a former congressman, former Republican congressman from Illinois. And Joe Walsh and I are going to talk a little bit more about how he sees the Republican Party, the changes, what how he feels about Donald Trump now and what he sees for the upcoming 2020 election. Pleased to bring on for the first time on Honestly Speaking, former former congressman from Illinois 8 and the host of the Joe Walsh syndicated radio show, Joe Walsh. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Tara, this is no bullshit. It is an honor to be with you. I'm a big fan of what you do. So thank you so much for the invite. I mean it. Oh, thank you very much. And uh, if any anyone who knows and who listens knows that this is a no bullshit zone. Uh, and Good. so I, I'm happy to have you on so we can have a no BS conversation about what's happening in our country. And so yeah. we're going to start off with the president. Uh, this was not initially what I wanted to start talking about, but over the weekend, <laughs> the president decided to wake up on a Sunday morning and go off on a a trumper tantrum on Twitter filled with racist tweets about attacking the progressive congresswomen known as the squad. Uh, everyone knows yeah. who they are. Ilhan Omar, Talib, uh, AOC, and uh, Ayanna Presley. And even though he didn't name them, uh, we all knew who he was talking about. What what was your reaction when you saw those tweets, and and where were you? It's one of those things where it's like you know where you were when you saw it. What, what were you doing, and what was your reaction? I was actually telling walking the dogs, and I I was walking two dogs, so I couldn't tweet right away. So I <laughs> prematurely ended my walk and went right at it. Look, it it uh, it should piss off all Americans because. Literally, what he said was that four brown-skinned congresswomen should go back to where they came from. Uh, here's the deal. It, yeah, it's offensive. It's it's ignorant. It's anti-American and it's racist. It should piss off everybody. But Tari, you know it won't. It's a shame, but it won't piss off everybody. And that's 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 the real shame. And I have to tell you that um, as someone who has been a conservative for the majority of my adult life, uh, yeah. with the Republican Party in on the front line of uh, front lines of conservative policy and and elections and fights since the nineties. I have to say I am so ashamed of how many people in the Republican Party have succumbed to these racial resentment, weaponization of ethnic differences in ways that I either I was naive, just didn't want to admit to. I'm not sure. But this the election of Donald Trump has really unearthed some pretty ugly stuff in this country. And I'm not sure whether I'm glad to see that it was exposed or dismayed by all of it. I'm not sure. 
But you're right. There is a large group of people that seem to be perfectly okay with this. And I think it's destroying us. Yeah, look, you know, as well as I know, we were divided before Trump. And, and I would argue that the divide is the thing that put him in the office. I mean, he's a horrible human being. The only way a country could elect somebody like that is if there's really something wrong going on in the country. Mm-hmm. Tara, I'm a, I'm a nationalist. I believe in America. And if I were president, I'd always put our interests first. To me, nationalism is like patriotism. The, the, the ugly aspect, and you mentioned it, of Trump's nationalism is that there is this racial ethnic thing to it. Like I want I want anybody in this country who wants to come for freedom and opportunity. And I don't give a damn what color you are. But when you talk about Trump and some of the things he says, it's like color, race and creed enter into it for some reason. Right. And then that would be why some people would argue that nationalism actually isn't patriotism. They aren't one and the same because nationalism encompasses some of that tribalism and and ethnic resentment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like nationalism uh, colloquially. Well, sure. I love my country and, you know, that's great. But now we've kind of learned that, well. Well, you know, maybe that nationalism part of it isn't isn't so great because look what it look what it uh, stokes. You know, the white nationalism and the white supremacy part of it, I think, is what's um, been animated in in ways that we haven't seen in in several decades, and it worries me. And I think, and, and I and I think. The million dollar question is, is Trump a racist? And I probably know what your answer is. I just think I think all Trump cares about is Trump. Like, I don't think he likes women. I don't think he likes blacks or brown people. Or I just think all he cares about is Trump. So I don't know if he's a racist, but I'll tell you this. He eggs on these racists. So I, I don't know what that makes him. I mean, maybe that makes him an even more despicable character. Well, this is how I felt about that, because initially I was reticent to call him a racist in the beginning. Yeah. Even though things that he said were bigoted as hell. And I used to say that he was like, yeah. bunker. I think I was one of the first people to start saying that back in 2015. I was like, this guy yeah. is, you know, the bigot in chief. He's Archie Bunker. And I said, you know, he's just old. He's from a different generation. I don't know that he's necessarily racist. All of that went out the window for me after Charlottesville. At that yeah. point, I said, oh, no. Now, I knew all of the history and I knew all of the awful things right. that Trump had said, the birtherism, the Central Park Five, the housing discrimination lawsuits, things that he said in his books about black folks and being sued right. by, you know, by black dealers in Atlantic City for discrimination. I mean, the list was long. But I mean, again, bigot, baby, not a racist. At this point, I think that is a, a, a distinction without a difference because he's now his behavior and the policies and the things that he continues to put forth. There's clear that he has an issue with people of color because you just you could tell you could yeah you could be right. He, he's such a I mean it's really weird. He's not capable of any sympathy or empathy right. toward anybody. Well, that's the I've, I've never in my life. Yeah, I've never in my life seen a human being like that. So it's hard to say, oh, he hates black people. Because I don't think, again, I think all Trump cares about is what will help Trump. I think you're and right he'll that. step he'll step on his mother. If he thought if he thought attacking people from Norway would help him, he'd attack people from Norway every day. 
But I do think, and I want to know what your opinion is, this latest one, for some reason, something feels different about this one. I think politically this is going to hurt him. It should. It it should. But we, how many times, Joe, have we thought that I know. this is I what's know. going to hurt him? You know, I mean, I look at it like if he was able to get elected after a video of him bragging about grabbing women by their pussies. Yeah. Yeah. A month before the election, he was still able to get elected and Republicans still fell in line. I'm like, I'm not quite sure what this guy can possibly do short of maybe saying, call, actually calling people of color niggers or spicks. I don't really know what, yeah. he, what it's going to take for people to stand up and finally say enough. I, I, I don't well, know. here's but here's your hope. And again, Hillary sucked. She was the worst well, candidate in the history of the I world. I agree. I didn't vote. But but. Tara, think about this. Since Trump raised his right hand and got sworn in, in pretty much every special election since then, the Democrat vote has been through the roof and Republicans have lost. And again, in 2018, man, uh, we got our clocks handed to us. And 2018 was a referendum on Trump. Trump lost in 2018. We had the biggest chasm between Democrats who came out to vote and Republicans. So Trump lost in 2018. I mean, I I, I think you're seeing people really begin now to come out against him. The Democrats just hopefully won't blow it in 2020. Well, that's my worry. I worry. (laughs) You know, I look at the left and and the progressives and I go, what are you guys doing? What are you doing during the elect the uh, the uh, the first debates? I I was I sat there horrified. I said, oh, my God, they're handing this election back to to Donald Trump. If the election were held today, I think he'd win. And that scares me because they're taking positions that are so radical to the left. They're like jockeying for positions, trying to out elbow each other of who can be more radically left than the next. And I'm going, people, don't you understand that that's that's how Trump got elected in the first place? Stop it and let Joe Biden just win this thing for you. Yeah, no, you're right, Terry. It's a weird thing. I can relate because when I got elected in 2010, that was the rise of the Tea Party. Right. And right. everybody said the same thing about us because John Boehner and the Republican Party hated us because we were the ones in the news yelling and screaming. Uh, the difference was, though, you had a lot more of us. The, the squad like AOC and these folks, there aren't a lot of them. And I'm amazed that somebody can't sit AOC down and just say, you're the greatest because she does have a lot of strengths. But if you are the picture of the party, Trump's going to win. Right. I think she knows that. I hope she knows that. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's almost some of that millennial narcissism going on here. That's a good point. That's it's good all point. about me. And I have a platform and I'm going to Twitter, and yeah. Instagram, what I feel because my feelings matter. You know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah. Listen, and that's why Nancy Pelosi, I think, is having a challenge managing yeah. them because yeah. it's a generational difference. There are certain decorum and certain things, you know, as a member of Congress, like yeah. just certain yeah. things that you don't do to your fellow colleagues. And Democrats used to be very good at staying on message. And Nancy Pelosi's like, oh, my God, these are like unruly grandchildren. What am I doing? What am I going to do with these people? And she's struggling. And, and the thing about it, though, is yeah. that Donald Trump just gave the Democrats a gift. By allowing them now, they were they were at each other's throats. And then now they're all going to unify around this. And, and hopefully now they'll be open to sitting down and, and saying, listen, we have to unify. 
we can't let this guy win again. And by you guys act doing this, saying these things, this is going to just hand it back to him. Can you just hold it together for another year and a half? Just hold it together because you'll probably get reelected yeah. in your districts. So can we do this yeah. and argue over this later in 2021, please? <laughs> You're so right. If, if, if 2020 is about Trump, he loses. If that's 2020 right. is about AOC, Trump wins. I, I just it, – it, and that's – see, that's – that's the, I hate to even go there, but you're right, because what Trump said was so offensive, but politically it was just stupid. And I got to go on the radio again tonight, Tara, and I'm going to go on the radio and most of my audience is going to like what Trump said and or they're going to think he's playing 5D chess. And it was brilliant what he said. Yeah. It, it, it was stupid. And he doesn't. It's so hard because he really doesn't know what he's doing. And that's what's weird about this. Like, I, I don't think he's a madman because I don't think he really knows what he's doing. I think it's a mixture. I think there's a certain yeah. amount of lunacy involved there because he, you just, just look at the, the, his entire life. There's, he's always been a bit out there. And I've always posited it's because his father was a bastard and he was never good enough. Yeah. He's one of the most insecure little boys on the inside that just wants approval and has done all of these things simply for that. And it was obvious. And I, but I, well, at least to me, it was obvious, but obviously a lot of people you, are you, enamored. And you were probably quicker to the gate than I was. I mean, I never I liked you voted Trump. For him, I you? voted. I voted. <laughs> I, I don't I, yell at me. Don't yell at me. You. You voted for him. You contributed to this, Joe. Listen, there's redemption no, for everyone. <laughs> I just, like, I, I didn't like him. I, I was a Rand Paul guy in the primary. I didn't like Trump, but I figured I don't like Hillary. Maybe I'll get a couple good judges. And I got to be honest, Tara. I didn't really follow Trump much before he ran. I just figured he was a well-to-do goof. I never, I never watched The Apprentice, so I never really knew who he was. I had no idea until after he got elected that he lies every time he opens his mouth. Would you? I, you I never knew that, that. If you had known a bit more about Donald Trump, and you know what, you're not alone. I, like I said, I'm yeah. from New Jersey, so I grew up yeah. in the tri-state area. I remember Donald yeah. Trump. I remember the tabloids. I remember what happened yeah. in Atlantic City. So, like, he was not unfamiliar to me. But I took for granted yeah. how many people outside of the, you know, the New York area yeah. really yeah. didn't know much about him. So I made it my mission during the election to try to educate people factually yeah. about who yeah. this bastard really is. This I'm like, this yeah. guy is the worst. He's a con artist. He's a snake oil salesman. He's a liar. Total. He doesn't Total. pay his bills. He doesn't like you people. He claims to, but Total. he's just BSing you to get your vote. He's a narcissist. Yeah. He's, the guy, he's a womanizer. Yeah. What are you doing, you Christians? You guys claim that this guy yeah. is the, the, the holiest guy ever? Are you kidding? You know, <laughs> so I tried, but people were like, well, Hillary's terrible. We want our Supreme Court yeah. justices, and he's a good businessman. He's a billionaire. He was on The Apprentice. We'll give him a chance. I'm like, uh, okay, at your own peril. And I, and I will say this as somebody who did vote for him, and then I turned on him right away. And by Helsinki last summer, mm. I, I said, that's it. He's done. After Helsinki, he lost me at Helsinki, I even though I never you, really loved him. I was going to ask what? you, at what, it, it was, at what point did you finally say, because now I would say it's fair to call you a certified never-Trumper. 
Yes. I'm probably yeah, yeah and I'm a never trumper and Tara, here's what's weird. I'm the only never trumper like in syndicated talk radio. I I can't okay, believe I still have a job. Still I'm serious. <laughs> I can't true. believe it. That's true. But no, I, but it was it was it was Helsinki it was Helsinki. When he stood in front of the world and said, I believe Putin and not my own people, I remember standing up inside watching that on TV and I started throwing shit around the house. That was yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and and ever since then I've been on a blitzkrieg. Um I wish I I wish I'd listened more to you at the beginning. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's okay. Buyer's remorse, you know. I, I but but the but the good part is that you weren't so dug in that you were able to, you know, you the plank wasn't so far in your eyes that yeah. you couldn't yeah. pull it out and see what he really is and were like I'm not making this mistake again. I don't know how many people that are like you versus the people who are making excuses and still justifying this. I'm, I'm no, in my, more, I hope there's more use than them, but <laughs> well, it, you know what? It's weird, Tara. There aren't in my profession right now. Talk like conservative media. The vast majority of people have moved the other way. I know a lot of the, a lot of the never Trumpers in 16 in conservative media. Now they are begrudgingly going to be with him. I look at guys like Eric Erickson oh. and Glenn Beck. I oh. mean, Glenn Beck, who's kind of weenie wishy washy with him. Yep. I I'm, I'm the only guy I know who went the other way. Um, so I, I'm not optimistic because most people have just quietly and, and look at, I mean, my former colleagues in Congress, I mean, how many of them have said something in the last 24 hours? I've got it. I don't know. I've got to tell you, Joe, uh, I worked in Congress for seven <laughs> years. I was in I was yeah. working in Congress for Congressman Rohrabacher, who is another one yep. that I'm terribly disappointed in because I absolutely yes. adore Dana. And it was the greatest seven years of my professional life having a chance to work with yeah. him on amazing things. And yep. um, when he went all in. Now he he was another one. He didn't like Donald Trump. He knew that Trump was was a None of them do privately, right? right? None correct. of them do privately. None of them do. Yeah. My friends that are still yeah. Hill staffers and other members of Congress that I know. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. come on you guys. You know, when they see me at the Capitol Hill Club or they see me uh, you know in DC, <laughs> they thank me for having the courage yeah. to speak out. And I go, are you guys serious? You're in a position where you actually could make a bigger difference than I did. It might cost you, but you know what? Right. Maybe it won't. Or at what point does saving the the integrity of the republic become the priority here? But it's it's easier said than done. These people are drunken with power. They don't want to lose their seats, so they cower in the corner. I said on CNN today yeah. that I'm ha happy to lend some of my testicular fortitude <laughs> to members of Congress so they can freaking get off their asses and speak up because the country's at stake. The soul of our country's at stake. Joe Biden was 100% right about that, which is why I support him. <laughs> you're never you're, life you're right. No, I tell you, you're right. And again, they're still at the point where they want to get reelected. And people now in my profession, it's all about the ratings. Yep. And I got to be honest, in conservative media, the ratings are still, if you support him and you say he's the greatest, you're going to have a good show. And and they all listen to Fox News and Fox News won't have any people like you and me on anymore. Which is a shame. So, I mean, I I, uh, I wouldn't go on Fox News if they paid me. To be honest with you, not even if not even if they said you could go on and just light it up and say whatever no. you wanted to say. No, because you know why? Because at this point, huh. it's it's being it's participating in yeah. state-run propaganda. 
You know, I used to yeah. go on Fox News back in the day before I signed yeah. with CNN, and I'm I'm happy that I I'm with CNN and have been for since 2014 because they they give me the opportunity to be who I am. They never tell me what to say, yeah. and I, I have that freedom to, to to be to tell the truth. Um, but uh, to, to see the transition with Fox News into what it's become now, I, I can't. I what someone I have to be honest. One of my best friends in the whole world, who will remain nameless is a major contributor on Fox News in prime time. And this whole thing has put a strain in our friendship. Oh, yeah. And I I mean, I love her like a sister, but it's very difficult for me to spend time with her, to talk with her, because she's a part of this. I feel like it's a civil war, and I'm in the Union, and she's in the Confederacy. That's how I feel. It's hard. Well, it's, and it's weird. It's weird, Taryn. Again, I don't you don't don't give me a name, but I know people like that. And, you know, that they're smart enough to know what this is all about. Right. And and it's like, again, but and I, I get it. You and I get it. They've made a deal. They've made a pact that it, it's financially whatever they can get FaceTime. So I guess they've made that kind of a deal with themselves. But unlike you, I, I couldn't do it. If Life's too short, and this is not that much fun. You ought to just say what you believe. Right. That's right. And uh, I, I applaud you for, for, for sticking to your, to your guns on this, even at potential great personal risk. Because like you said, the Eric Erickson's, the Glenn Beck's of the world, who I used to work oh. for, by the way. I used to work at the Blaze. Yeah. And I'm embarrassed oh, to you say. Did? Oh, yeah. I, oh, had a, I was a co-host of a show, a panel show called okay. Real News on the Blaze from 2013 to 2014. Yeah. That's actually why I left Congress uh, when I was working. Okay. I loved my job with Dana, but I was I was yeah. talked into it after a year of being courted by, by Glenn and yeah. his people. And I actually believed Glenn. I thought that he was a principled guy. I'd worked with him on other issues, particularly with border security and border agents. Yeah. And I believed him. Yeah. And it didn't take long for me to figure out that he was full of shit and that I had made a huge mistake. And um, that just – my gut feeling yeah. about that was unfortunately – Confirmed as time went on, and I, uh, I, all I have to say is that I have not spoken to Glenn Beck in several years, and uh, yeah. either he or if my husband or myself sees Glenn, he's going to get an earful. <laughs> just, well, it's a shame. Yep, that's an absolute because that's where that's where the bread is buttered right now on that side. So they all go there. I just I could never do that. That I, I'd be miserable. Yeah, me too. I couldn't. I just I. I and people say to me, thank you all the time when I'm out in public and they, yeah. and I look at them and they go, you know, they say, you know, I, I was not a Republican or I may not agree with you politically, but thank you for speaking out. And I just say, I'm just telling the truth. I'm just being honest here. And I never thought that yeah. just being honest would be such a commodity that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to like that should way, be a, but... That's a big deal. Oh my God. Just crazy. Tara. Just it crazy. Is. Well, speaking of crazy, let's talk a little bit about Paul Ryan, because I know that you saw oh. him in Congress and you know, I have to say Paul Ryan used to be who I thought the future of the Republican party was going to be. I adored Paul Ryan. I, he was cool. He was young. He was smart. He, was a numbers guy you know he was a jack kemp protege who who i looked up to jack kemp was very instrumental in a lot of my conservative values you know i call myself a kemp reagan republican and oh luckily and uh 
to watch yep. the absolute demise of Paul Ryan really hurts my heart as a Republican. What do you think about what about Paul Ryan and his comments recently that came out? I guess he's in I think he wrote a book or he's in somebody's book and he talks about now yeah. he talks about Donald Trump and and uh, criticizes him. But that wasn't the position he took when he was speaker. Talk a little bit about your I, your Paul Ryan. Thoughts. I, I will. And Tara, I will not be very sophisticated or intellectual. I think Paul Ryan's a weenie, an absolute weenie. I mean, to think about what he just did, and you're right, he's in a book now, and now after the fact, he's basically talking about what a horrible person Trump is. Two, three years after the fact, he's right about Trump, but the fact that he didn't come out and say it in real time uh, is is not, history will not look well upon him. When I got there in 2010 and the Tea Party class came in, we all like looked up to Paul Ryan as you did, because we thought he was the only one talking about reforming entitlements, blah, blah, blah. But then we got there and we realized pretty quickly, and I don't, you and I may differ a little bit politically. He was much more establishment than I thought. And he wanted all of us Tea Party congressmen to tamper down all the talk about the debt and the deficits. And that's all we wanted to talk about. And at every turn, John Boehner used him to kind of shut up us Tea Party folk. I will also say he he had no business being speaker because he was miserable. He never wanted to be speaker. I know. And you could tell, Terry, you could tell. You could tell from day one he never liked Trump. I just wish he had been a man of his convictions and said that at the time. I I know. And uh, a lot of people don't realize that the Tea Party stood for taxed enough already, right? That yes. was pretty much yep. the that was the foundation for the Tea Party, and I felt that the Tea Party got a, a, a bad rap in the beginning. I mean, some of you guys were a little rabble rousers, you know, and that's and that's all right. Oh yeah, you know? oh yeah. You need that. You need to shake up a little bit. But but the but the motivation behind it was simply listen. Our country is in serious financial trouble. We've got to do something yeah. about this. The the Obamacare proposal that was out there was potentially financially yep. ruinous for this country, and you know, and I agreed with the basic premise of what the Tea Party folks wanted. I didn't always agree with how you guys went about it, but that's okay. Exactly. You know, that, you know, exactly. That's, okay. that's how you learn. But um, but then I feel like something happened to the Tea Party. Like, do you, do you see kind of like what the what the um, Freedom Caucus? Well, yeah. Like, well, yeah. Yeah. These so, guys so Tara, don't represent th- anything yeah. that you used to stand for. What the hell was that? So think about that. Guys like me and Amash and Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows, all there at the beginning of the Freedom Caucus. And and now right there's the difference. So you've got guys like Amash and Walsh who uh, call this guy out. And I can tell you, Tara, you know the truth. Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows, these guys, they think about Donald Trump privately just like you and I oh, do. Oh, I know. But I know. They've, they've given up. Uh, advocating for the issues, and they've decided to throw their lot in with this guy, even when he steps all over the Constitution and abuses the rule of law. They don't say a damn thing. No, instead they kick out a, a founder of the Freedom Caucus like Justin Amash. Yes. Yeah. Based on what? Because he wasn't loyal to this to this apostate? Donald Trump is the apostate, not Justin Amash. 
that's the, the that's the part about this that is so mind blowing for me because people like Justin and it, it took him a long time to finally go all yeah. all, all in on it, but at least he did. And uh, you know, so th- they're excoriating him for what exactly? For pointing out the, <clears throat> for excuse me for pointing out the truth about Donald Trump about the fact that he is outside the Constitution, the fact that. They're all just throwing the deficit and debts to the wind. Oh, well, we don't care about that anymore. Oh, apparently now Republicans are protectionists. Tariffs are a good thing. Like, what? It's the world turned upside and down. And oh, skyrocketing deficits under this guy. Like, and, and not a not a word out of any of these Freedom Caucus members with the deficits. And that's all we yelled about when Obama was president. That's right. I remember. I was I was there for most of it. Uh, and I, and those were fights that were worthy. They were worthy. Yeah. Our debt ceiling fights were worthy. You know what we. Yeah. The budget art fights, they were worthy of it. And Paul Ryan and those guys were right in the middle of it. I know Paul Ryan was happy being the chairman of Ways and Means and the budget right, committee and all right. of that. He lived for that. He did not live for yeah. being speaker. And it ultimately destroyed him. And you're right. I I, I do I, I hate to call Paul Ryan a coward, but he ended up becoming an absolute coward. And um, I guess he thought that he was doing it for the team. Maybe he was pushed over by Mitch McConnell. I don't know. But he was in a unique position to put his foot down when Trump behaved the way he did. And I, and he didn't do it. And I think maybe it's because they underestimated Trump's fortitude. I think those guys, kind of like kind of like you, thought, well, maybe we'll be able to control him from the Congress. Yeah. Yeah, he'll just, he's yeah. just, you know, he'll be more presidential. He's not going to do all this wacky stuff when he's president. And I was like, OK, folks, <laughs> <I'm telling> you, <laughs> the guy is incapable of change. And I think he just ran roughshod over them. And at that point, they're like, well, fuck this. We're just going to try to get something yeah. past taxes or something. And, you know, the collateral damage is what it is. And he's in, they, they never understood that he's incapable of shame. Now, and, and again, the, if, if there's one issue that did get Trump elected. It's the issue of immigration. Yeah, and I again, I, I I don't think he believes in any of it. I don't think he ever believed in the wall or anything. But he's the only guy who touched that issue that really does piss off a lot of regular Americans. And the Republican Party generally, uh, you know, wasn't where their voters were on that issue. And Trump took advantage of that. And you know what? The issue of immigration is something I worked on as a congressional staffer for seven years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I yeah. was the communications director for Dana, but he also gave me the immigration portfolio because I got involved. Right. And you may remember, I know mean, this is a little after you came to Congress, but there was a big case between two board, with two Border Patrol agents out of Texas, Ramos and Compion, yeah. who were thrown in prison for 11 and 12 years for shooting an illegal alien drug smuggler in Texas. And they didn't, they didn't report yep. it properly. And it turned into a real miscarriage of justice for these two guys and I became the Aaron Brockovich of that case for them. Thankfully Dana gave me the carte blanche of his office and whatever we needed to do to help get these guys out of prison and it it took about two and a half years of of blood, sweat and tears of relentless um, advocacy for them nationally that we ended up securing a presidential pardon, I mean a presidential commutation from George W. Bush in his last day of office. So I got to learn um a lot about the border and border security. Yeah. I, I come from a law yeah. enforcement family, so th- yep. that was a, of interest to me. And I have to say that I became a pretty, I, I mean, like a border security hawk 
because I'm like, yeah. this shit is yeah. out of control. When you come from yeah. where I come from, it's very diverse. You don't really think about it. You're not on the border. Spending time in yeah. Southern California and Texas, I had a whole new perspective about this. I said, no, we've got to yeah. stop this. And it had nothing to do with people personally. It had nothing to do with like keep those brown people out of here. It was just yep. a rule of law issue that it was out of control. There was a lot of things that were unfair on both sides of it. Humanely, it yeah. wasn't fair to these people coming over here and risking their lives coming here. It wasn't fair to Americans who were being displaced in jobs and, and in other things. It just wasn't fair in a lot of ways. So the immigration issue was a valid one. And some of the things yeah. the Trump administration is trying to fix, like the asylum laws and things, I agree with them. But they've turned it into a racial issue and otherizing people and dehumanizing them. And that's the part that bothers me. He he and he ran on a wall and he said, I'm going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. And that's as deep as his policy went. Right. And, uh, and, and here's the other thing. Here's where he screwed up. Jared. So he talked tough and he said, I'm going to crack down on all these illegals coming in. And for, if you notice for the first year and a half, almost two years of his presidency, uh, border crossings were way, way down. Cause people thought, uh Oh, he's going to be different than Obama. And then they, then they found out he's not. And so since the beginning, of this past year, there's been this crisis at the border because people have realized, like with everything else, he's all talk and there's no action. Um, and the wall wouldn't do anything about what's going on That's now. Right. You just said it, Sarah. You're talking about our asylum laws. Yeah, the asylum. Uh, people yeah. See, this was something that actually started even under Bush. Um, where and then it was just exasperated more under Obama, where they found loopholes in our laws, where and and this is where there's the failure of Congress, both Democrats and Republicans. Both sides are guilty of allowing this to fester yeah. for, for decades. But the, under yep. Obama, they, that's when they started to say, hey, listen, you claim credible fear, come to a port of entry, you can come in yeah. uh, you know, use, through asylum or send your kid, unaccompanied kids up here because guess what? They have to go to HHS custody within three days and then they just place them anywhere in the U.S. So send your kids exactly. once they're here. And next thing you know, we had that first major influx of unaccompanied minors in the 2014 summer of 2014 everyone went whoa what the hell is this because the word was yeah now the like you said the word is out again and it is really up to congress to freaking fix it because if they don't fix the laws they're going to continue to use these loopholes and our poor men and women in the border patrol and ice are going to continue to be put in these horrible situations now are there bad apples yes but for the most part these guys are heroes down there on the border absolutely in an untenable situation and it is donald trump's and Congress's fault. Yeah, and you're right. They're being shit on. Our men and women at the border are being shit on. Yep. And this president isn't capable of – I mean, four months ago, he should have yanked every congressional leader into the White House, and they should have come all come up with a solution about this. But now my fear is both sides politically, it doesn't make sense for them to help fix the problem. So this is probably going to be this way till the election. I know. And they had when they had the opportunity to fix it, they didn't. Yeah. Because Trump doesn't yeah. want to fix it. I've always been of the belief, and I've said this many times, that Trump does not want to solve this problem because it is his, he needs a foil. This is his bread and butter. If the problem was fixed, what the hell is he going to run on? <laughs> yeah. That's why. No, you're right. He's I, uninterested yeah. in any policy, real policy fixes. He needs an enemy, and this is a natural one. And he can blame Democrats now. And here we are. It's a you know, it's an, a vicious cycle, and it and it does nothing. It just makes this country 
more volatile. And I worry that uh, people are going to start picking up arms and having we're going to have tiki torches down the streets again. Worse than Charlottesville, <laughs> this keeps up. Seriously, because, you know, where, where do we go? Well, I think, look, I think, and I've said this on the radio and I've written about it, I do believe the country is divided. I, I, I believe where, and I want to use the word irrevocably, Tara, I think it's going to be really hard. And this predates Trump. I think this is going to be hard for the United States of America to ever be united again, because we don't even agree as a country on our founding principles anymore. Right. I mean, this notion of free college and free everything. Most young people in America today believe that government should do these things, which scares me. I don't I don't know. How, I don't know how you walk that back. I know. I know. I, my mom and I have these kinds of deep conversations all the time. And I was yeah. just saying to her, we say it all the time. I'm like, how do we come back from this? Because not only do you have these this older generation of people who are dug in with the racial resentment stuff. Now you've got the younger generation that doesn't really understand what conservatism really is, the role role of government, our founding principles and why those matter. I mean, you've got presidential candidates, major presidential candidates, talking about getting rid of the Electoral College as a serious proposal. I'm going, oh, my God, because people just don't understand. They they just don't know. And, And we don't teach civics anymore. We have this progressive left agenda that's infiltrated our education system that's teaching people how awful America is. I mean, we're not perfect, but come on. The, 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 the constitutional republic that we have is unique for a reason. And we're not being taught that anymore. Kids aren't they, – they think socialism is wonderful. <laughs> really? Yes, you're, you're, so, you're so right. And then so then they look at our side. And what do they see? They see this big buffoon in the White House uh, who who has just look, the Republican brand before Trump was in trouble, which is why Trump won. But the Republican brand now is just on life support. Do you still call yourself a Republican? I I never I haven't for a long time. I I typically call myself a Tea Party limited government conservative um, who happened to run as a Republican. That's that's a Um, lot to put on a ballot. That's a lot. <laughs> I don't even like Tara. I don't even like the word conservative because I think of like an angry old man. Yeah. I'm trying to find another word. I know. I just because everything's so everything with Trump is like so angry right now. I know. Like gone are the days of the shining city on a hill and the Reagan yes. and you know compassionate conservatism of George W. Bush. And I mean those just uh, it's it's it saddens me because. You know, I'm 40. I'll be 44. So I grew up under Reagan, Clinton, Bush. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> yeah. And I look at that and people ask me, they go, why are you still a Republican? Do you still consider yourself a Republican? And I, I say, well, I always call myself a conservative first because that's my worldview. Yeah. That's the way in which yeah. I live my life. That's how I approach things. Yeah. And the Republican part is just the, the party apparatus by which you right. express that power. Right. Now it's like I'm embarrassed. I don't want anything to do with what Republicans today because they're not really Republicans. They're Trumplicans. This is not Republicans. And some people say, yes, it is. And I'm like, no, I refuse to believe that this is the way the party's going to go. And I just feel like someone has to be there to pick the pieces up because we're still going to be a two party system. We just we are like we're not going to have any viable third party. I mean, do you think that we'd ever have a viable third party? I I I think it would take a little bit shy of a revolution to get there. Um, 
Yeah, so I, I, I agree. Work, right? so we have to change, work within the change system it. we have. I'll never be a Democrat, that's for damn sure. And, right. you know, I just don't agree with their worldview. I have voted for Democrats only recently because I think the Republicans, in order to course correct, they have to pay a price. So I voted Democrat in a federal election for the first time in my life last November. I didn't care who it was. I just wanted them out (laughs) because at that point, you know, that's the only way people get jostled into paying attention. Like, oh, my God, we have to we're going to lose. So maybe we need to change. Same thing this time around. I, under no circumstances, will I vote for Donald Trump. I don't care who it is, except for Bernie Sanders. I'll vote third party again. I cannot bring myself to vote for Bernie Sanders. But, uh, you know, I, I can't believe I'm sitting here, you know, advocating for Joe Biden because I think he's a pragmatist deep down inside. I think he can appeal to the to people that need to be appealed to to get the votes they need to get this thing back yeah. on track. But not if he goes too far to the left. You know, then he's just going to yeah. shoot himself in the foot and he and then we're going to just hand this back over to, over to Donald Trump. Do you, I mean, do you think that what are your as we as we wrap up a little bit? Um, what do you think for 2020? Do you think the Democrats I, 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 a shot? Yeah, I, I still I believe that Trump is still a major underdog. Yeah. This is, you know, on paper, this is the greatest economy ever. And it is really strong. And so history tells us. Uh, the president's approval rating should be through the roof. He's the least popular president in modern times. That's because people hate him. He's so beatable. And I do think all, there's so much energy among Democrats that I, I think uh, I think a Democrat could and should beat him unless they really do just go too, too batshit crazy. Oh, I like getting rid of the Electoral College, Medicare for all, free college. You know, Bernie, Bernie, Bernie. Let's decriminalize yeah, I, crossing the border. I mean, what? <laughs> yes. Well, but, but but here, so so it's the primary, and so hopefully they're getting all this shit out there now, right. and then they'll they'll adjust, they'll adjust, and they'll all get behind somebody. Hopefully. Well, I I what what would be your dream ticket on the obviously not on the Republican side because it's a nightmare for us. I mean, <laughs> on the other side, you, what do you think is a winnable ticket? Well, here's the deal. Like, in Tara, to me, 2020 is 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 it's bad versus wrong. Trump's bad, and the Democrats are wrong. I know. So I I can't vote for a Democrat. But to me, if I I think Kamala Harris, if if she can f- figure out who she is, <laughs> she's got re- she's got real star quality. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't think she's a crazy lefty. So I I think if you packaged her with i gotta be honest i know you like biden on the democrat side but man he, he looked old in that debate he looked old he did scared me he was, he was rusty but i think that he's gonna get a shot of some b12 and he'll be better in the next <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the biden next harris biden harris yes biden harris. that's what i say put biden at the top of the ticket because you've got to have an elder statesman that knows what the hell he's doing nobody else yeah. knows what you know i mean biden I, i've had my differences but i know that he's a good and decent person there and yeah. that's what we need he believes in in trying to unify he knows how to work on the with the other side to get something right, done. right and people respect him he knows what he's doing so put him at the top of the ticket he's probably only going to last for one term anyway and one, term, put, one term right, one term one yeah. term and then 
then really it's a race for vice president. And I like Pete Buttigieg a lot, but only because he's smart. Yeah. And, and I think that he's the future of the Democrats for them. I don't agree with some of his progressive policies, but he's just refreshing to listen to because he's thoughtful and smart. But by but Harris, I agree with you. As much as I was pissed off at her kneecapping Biden like that, I blame Biden yeah. more for not being prepared than I blame yeah. her for taking yeah. advantage of the opportunity. Um, but you're right. She was a prosecutor. She's young. She really isn't a crazy lefty. I think she's just trying to act, pretend to be one on TV. Agreed. So get through the primary. Yeah. Um, the tough prosecutor part of her, I think, is an advantage for her, especially as a yeah, female. Yeah, I agree. People will see that she's tough, and that would be. I think that could be a ticket, but not. But she's not at the not at the top, though. I don't think she'll win if she's, I, she's the. the, the I, you know, I agree. And, and the Dems, their identity politics will not allow them to put two white guys together. So I that know, that ain't that ain't gonna happen. And plus, a lot of you know, black folks in the South, they have a problem with it with a yeah. man being yeah. vice president and then seeing you know him yeah. and his husband. I get it from a religious perspective. They that's just they just yeah. can't get with that yet. Uh, so it would hurt yeah. them there. But um, but they would like Harris. And so uh, yeah, yeah, I think that would be an interesting an interesting ticket if uh, if everyone could put their differences yeah. aside. <laughs> She's got a Stop knifing Biden in the back. You know, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's no, that's what was surprising about that, because you didn't. None of us saw that coming, including Biden. Including Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Including Biden, and he admitted it, you know, but uh, yeah, she did it yeah. political expediency. People are talking about her when they weren't before, but uh, exactly. I hope it hasn't cost her too much goodwill moving forward because uh, – Agreed. Agreed. But, you know, that's, but, but that's politics. Joe Walsh, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a blast. Let's uh, let's stay in touch throughout the election and, and, and see how, how things go. I, I hope that you are able to maintain your audience as Trump becomes more and more batshit crazy and you're honest about it. I, I hope that you uh, you don't have to pay that ultimate price like some others. If I if I if I lose my radio show, let me be your publicist. Promise me. <laughs> You, you, you've got it. As long as you lost, if you lose it because you stood up on principle, then we can still be friends. But I'm telling you right now, Joe Walsh, if you vote for Donald Trump again, I'm never. Gonna, I'm going to give you never. shit. You will be on my shit list. Never. <laughs> never means never. Ain't right? happening. Never, never. I'm holding. And you're the best, Sarah. Thank you so much. Thank you this so is much. Fun. Thank you. Everybody, check out Joe it. Walsh's radio show. Um, big thank you again. Appreciate it, my friend. Thanks. Again, big thank you to former Congressman Joe Walsh, host of the Joe Walsh radio program. Be sure to check him out on Twitter as well. He's uh, he, he doesn't hold back like he didn't on the show today. He doesn't hold back on Twitter either. Uh, I think Walsh Freedom is his, um, is his Twitter handle. And that's it for this week's edition of Honestly Speaking. Thank you for joining me. Be sure to follow me on social media at Tara Setmayer on Twitter or underscore, uh, I'm sorry, at honestly underscore Tara on Twitter and at the Tara Setmayer on Instagram. Thanks so much. And I'll see you next week.